Let's go, girls. This is Jennifer Blome and Wendy Weiss. Come on. On KTRS. Brought to you by STL Medical Weight Loss. See the Dr. Joe difference at stlmedweightloss.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Jennifer and Wendy Show on this Tuesday, February the 6th. So glad to have you along. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. And Connor McCarthy is here as well. Good morning, Connor. Good morning. The Royal Banks, Missouri text line open 84126, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, in the news today, of course, King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer. We will chat with Dr. Jason Edwards, a St. Luke's radiation oncologist. Coming up at 1020, I think when we hear stories like this, we all have lots of questions. And I admire uh, King Charles, maybe he had no choice, but for sharing some of his diagnosis, because I do think it ends up helping other people. Uh, Jay O'Brien joins us from ABC News at 1050. And then in our next hour, Wendy, a little music. Yes. The symphony uh, director will be here, Maestro Denev. Am I saying that right or wrong? I think it's Deneuve, Deneuve. but I'm like you. I, <laughs> I grew up with Catherine Deneuve, right. so we we are constantly doing whatever you French people do <laughs> with the pronunciation. I hope he is uh, he's okay with that. He seems to be a very, very nice man, but he'll be in the studio. We will try our best. And then Joe Holloman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, uh, stltoday.com, will join us at 1135. That's a little bit different than his usual time. But we're always, always happy uh, to be talking to Joe. All right, you two, how are you doing today? Doing very well. I love the sunshine. I can't get enough of the sunshine, which tells me that I didn't realize how much all the clouds lately. Make you feel like blah. Yeah, yeah. And every morning, because you and I both get up very early, the sunrise is so spectacular, Mm -hmm. usually before a cloudy day. But this morning, the sun, I mean, it was, the sunrise was also spectacular and we've got sunshines because I was a little worried. I thought when I saw the sunrise, I thought, oh no, it's going to be another cloudy day, but it's just gorgeous out there. I know we have been talking about this recently on the Big 550. I heard Julie discussing it, but my sister had seasonal affect disorder decades ago before you heard too much talk about it. And we lived in Toledo, Ohio, where it is cloudy a lot. Yeah. And so she and her husband moved to Florida when they were first married in their 20s. And she just said her mood improved so much. Uh, And back then they didn't have those light boxes that they have now. Any of you ever use one of those? Yeah. And how big are they, those light boxes? Are they, is it like the size of a like a desktop computer? I don't know or? if they come in all different sizes. I've seen some photos where they're like the size of a computer. And I was hearing Max say that some people just turned it on, you know, like as they're getting ready for work, putting on their makeup or whatever. I heard him say the same thing um, about not – it's not the kind of thing where you can turn it on and leave it on all right. day. That it's, right. it's, it's just not that. Um, but – Kevin Horgan, I think, was the first person I knew personally to also suffer from seasonal affective disorder and to look for solutions to it. And this was back in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and my sister would have been back in the 70s. And it made me wonder, what do people in London do? (laughs) It rains there a lot. Or Seattle. I've always wondered about people who live in Seattle because it's – it's beautiful and green, and I'm afraid you would feel like a frog because there's a lot. I mean, so much greenery, so much dampness, moisture, all of those words that we can't stand. <laughs> um, 
Kurt needs to. Oh, that wasn't for our show. Yeah, the we Royal Banks l- of Missouri. Chuck's like, we have a little bit of overlap with McGraw's show. A4126 is the Royal Banks of Missouri tech, uh, headline or text line, rather, excuse me. Very sad today, actually, uh, about Toby Keith. Yes. I mean, he was, he just exploded on the music scene and was only diagnosed with stomach cancer, I think. Wasn't it like last year? Yes. It so, was. Um, and I was reading about him because we have a song from him for our song of the day. But, you know, he was one of the first people who, in country music anyway, who fought his record companies. And when I was reading an interview, I think it was back from 2005 when he started his own company. And among the people with him was the newcomer, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Wow. What year was that? I think it was 2005 or five. Okay. Because, yeah, um, she was a baby when you, right. look, when you look back at all of those um, the performances. She was, she was a little bitty thing. Yeah. And he had uh, the song Red, White, and Blue. It's the song we're playing today. I, I don't know if that's the full name. But I didn't realize he and Natalie Maines had a sort of a long fight for years and years. And then oh, yes. he said he was sorry about it. Very much Just so. Just because I, I don't keep up on behind the scenes with musicians, but I love their music. Well, when the Dixie Chicks went after President Bush, obviously mm. I think that was a humongous dividing line, like right between the world of country music and they were on they were on opposite sides of that. But that is, yeah, that's terribly, terribly sad. Um, before we have to take a break... You are being honored tomorrow, and before the mandolin slice heard around the world, <laughs> we were getting to it, but you are receiving a lovely, lovely honor tomorrow with your dear friend and colleague, Karen Foss. Karen Foss. Share with our listeners. You're not going to be here. It's You're- the KSDK inaugural Hall of Fame, so it's just for the station, but Karen Foss is being honored, and I am along with her, the honored. late Diane White. And Ray Hofstetter, who was a Renaissance man behind the scenes, who listens to our show and has called in before, and also Steve Baer, who was in the sales department. Why do so, I know the name Ray Hofstetter? Maybe because he's called into our show. No, but I mean, like, I know, like, I feel like I've met, maybe met him before. You might have, because if I'm not mistaken, Ray retired either that and Channel 5 begged him to come back, or he just never retired because he was one of the men in charge of the archives. And so oh. whenever a new reporter or even the rest of us had a question about who was the mayor of St. Louis at this certain date, not only could he find the film, and it might have been film, transferred to tape, but he knew his yeah. institutional, institutional knowledge was tremendous. Memory. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I don't even know if it's on the radar of people anymore, that institutional memory that you oh. have with certain employees, because when it's gone... You feel it. I mean, you can really feel it. So um, good for him. Yeah. So it'll be a pleasure to see. But Ray congratulations, oh, thank you. A four one two six. If you would like to congratulate Miss Jennifer on her induction into the KSDK Hall of Fame, and I do want to tell you all that Karen Foss will be joining Wendy and me uh, here in the studio on Thursday. It's always fun to catch up with Karen uh, because she is now working as an artist. I mean, she's been an artist. Her whole life and studied art in college, but she lives in Santa Fe and she is just such a talented artist. Some of you know she had an art show here yeah, if you, uh, not it, that long ago. As we always say, um, and we don't want to embarrass her because she doesn't like to be embarrassed and she certainly doesn't like to have to call attention She's to herself. She's so humble. She is extremely humble. 
Um, but it is an embarrassment of riches, this woman, and what she is capable of doing, her writing. And oh. then if you follow her on Facebook, it's like, oh, my God, did she go to an art gallery? And then it's like, <laughs> no, Karen did that. I know. It's like, wait a minute, what? She wrote right. a book? I mean, it's crazy. So that will be a fun conversation. Yeah, she's flying in tonight, and she will be with us on our show on Thursday. We want to thank the St. Louis County Library for sponsoring our show and the Jennifer and Wendy Book Club. And, you know, one of the things they have at the library, which you may not know, they've partnered with Operation Food Search. So they have school meals at five St. Louis County Library branches. And uh, they're eaten on site, but they're available free of charge for children ages 5 to 18. And if you get a library card, you can just go to slcl.org. You'll learn that this is one of the things the library is doing that you may not know about. It is a brand new library, but it remains the same library that you grew up absolutely adoring and that your children did. And I love the idea of this library of things. It sounds like something in a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? Um, Have you explored the library of things? Did you even know about it? It's a unique collection of non-traditional library materials, including things like musical instruments or fishing equipment, games and kits and puzzles and so much more. All of those things available to be checked out for free with a library card. And it really is in keeping with the tradition of our beloved St. Louis County Library, isn't it? You de- you decide what kind of person you are by the books that you read as a young person. And this is a great way to even get a, a better handle on your likes and dislikes when it comes to uh, hobbies and things that you like to do in your spare time. So if you don't have your library card or it's time to get it renewed, just go online to slcl.org. That's slcl.org. It is 1023 at the Big 550 KTRS on this Tuesday, February 6th. The Jennifer and Wendy Show, thank you so much for joining us and for telling all of your friends that you're listening to the talk of St. Louis. Uh, Many of you, as we were stunned yesterday as we were leaving the air uh, with the disclosure that King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer and started treatment in London. Uh, It comes a week after the 75-year-old monarch left the hospital following a separate procedure for an enlarged prostate. Um, Two days ago, we observed World Cancer Day, and so we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Jason Edwards. He is a St. Luke's radiation oncologist, and uh, he joins us now by phone. Doctor, thank you. We know you're very busy, and we appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Can you walk us through the, and obviously we know so little about, uh, about the monarch, uh, but can you walk us through the 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 con- the cancer diagnosis and the process that that most people experience? Yeah, the so um, typically um, patients will either have their cancers diagnosed um, in the screening um, and, uh, through like a colonoscopy or a mammogram um, or a PSA test, um, or they will have a symptom that manifests. Um, and um, uh, and then which will um, cause their doctor to uh, get other tests, and then they will discover a cancer. And I think you know, obviously, psychologically, it's a huge shock when patients have uh, a new cancer diagnosis. Even if the prognosis is good, they can't help but kind of examine their own mortality for the first time. And so, 
I think, I've, like with most difficult things in life, acceptance is the the first and most difficult step, um, in my estimation. And Dr. Edwards, in your opinion, what are the most recent breakthroughs in treating cancer that might give people hope? Well, yeah, so the cure rates have consistently improved over the years. Um, the um, the most recent breakthrough um, in the you know in the past ten years has been um, a form of systemic therapy, and that's kind of an umbrella term that we use for chemotherapy, um, targeted therapy, or immunotherapy, and they're typically given either um, in pills or through the through the vein, like through an IV. Um, and they go throughout the whole system. And, and there's a type of therapy called immune therapy that's become more and more um, uh, commonly used to treat cancer over the past 10 years. And the nice thing about that is it's, um, it works by um, turning on your own immune system or increasing the activity of your own immune system and letting your own immune system fight the cancer. And um, the, it, it kind of achieves two, two of our main goals. That um, can increase the length of somebody's life, but um, most of them are very well tolerated, um, unlike the old school chemotherapies. And so, um, so the patient's quality of life remains relatively high as well. Uh, doctor, were you surprised that at least to to this point we have been assured that it is not prostate cancer? Um, would they have done any diagnostic work? on the procedure that they did for an enlarged prostate that would have revealed uh, perhaps a malignancy elsewhere in the body? Is that how this works? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, kind of pure speculation, um, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to speculate. The, um, uh, so the, what they typically do for a, uh, an enlarged prostate is um, they, they um, it, they um, do a resection where they um, kind of shave off um, some of the prostate. Um, the problem with an enlarged prostate is it can impede urinary flow, and so they can um, uh, um, kind of, um, I, I guess, um, whittle down, so to speak, some of the prostate tissue and allow the uh, urine to flow. The urethra goes through the prostate, and so it allows the urine to flow through the prostate. Uh, now, the prostate is situated between the um, bladder and the rectum, and the pelvis, you know, the, the bladder's in the front, then you have the prostate uh, moving backwards, and then the rectum's in the back part of the pelvis. And so, um, and so, you know, they, they could, it's bladder cancer is a, um, a, 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 you know, a relatively common cancer. Um, and then, um, and then colon and rectum cancer, uh, that's, a, that's a relatively common cancer too. Um, and so, um, it kind of makes you think that maybe they discovered something else in the pelvis. Um, and um, bladder cancer, you most commonly see, and um, uh, not always, but in, it's common in patients who smoke. I'm not aware that he's a smoker. And so statistically, if it was in the pelvis and it's not a prostate cancer, it would be more likely to be a rectal cancer. Um, and um, but, but, you know, of course, we don't know. Uh, but but t- to me, that seems kind of more logical. Um, that they would um, be doing a, a pelvic procedure and notice something abnormal um, in it, the it, rectum or bladder. It's funny. I, I have a feeling he did not smoke because over the years, and I used to be a royal watcher during the days of Princess Diana, he always talked about, you know, he always was extremely fit. And they have all these people around them to serve them healthy meals. But as an oncologist, are there things you do or don't do because you see cancer in the course of your everyday work? Uh, so that 
you won't get cancer because <laughs> I think we all have these concerns and try to do what we can. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah. So the best way to not get cancer is to, the, you know, the, the first, the most powerful thing you can do is not smoke cigarettes. Um, and so, so I don't smoke cigarettes. Um, and, um, and that will reduce your risk of lung cancer, lung cancers, um, aside from prostate cancer, it's the, it's the second most common cancer in men. Um, uh, and the um, uh, and it has a high mortality risk, um, you know, higher than prostate cancer. And so, the majority of cancer deaths are going to come from lung cancer. So that's that's an easy one. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that you can, other modifiable risk factor you can do is you can um, eat a diet that has a lot of fiber in it, and that reduces uh, all-cause mortality for gastrointestinal cancers. So that's esophagus, stomach, small bowel, large intestine, including the rectum. And so those are, those are some easy ones um, um, that, that will, you know, significantly reduce your risk of having a malignancy. We all hope and pray for a, a cure to cancer. Is that going to be any time, uh, obvious, probably not in our lifetime, but is that in the future, doctor? I, I, I guess it all depends on how you define cure. Um, it's like, you know, in one sense, like we can cure the common cold, but we have not eradicated the common cold. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that we can expect that the cure rate continues to improve um, in, in, um, in, amongst cancers. Um, you know, in childhood malignancies, we've, you know, over the you know past hundred years, we've seen a dramatic um, increase in the cure rate of the majority of childhood malignancies. Um, due to the advent um, of, of uh, different chemotherapies and, and, and chemotherapy regimens, um, there's a lot of clinical trials, um, especially in pediatric cancers. And so we've made great strides. And so I think we will continue to see a higher cure rate. Um, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where there's you know zero cancer in this world. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I just think that's you know a statistically unlikely scenario. Well, even more reason for us to be grateful for people like you, Dr. Jason Edwards, St. Luke's radiation oncologist. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge, Dr. Edwards. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I want to tell you about the Salvation Army's Midtown Rehab Center. They offer a second chance for men who are struggling with addiction. It's been about five or six years since I visited, but it's really impressive. Men, if they want to, can walk in right off the street if they have a desire to get clean and live and work and take part in a faith-based therapy program for free for six months. I met veterans there. We all know they're people from all walks of life fighting addiction. And the Salvation Army's Midtown Rehab Center is helping. You can help by merely shopping at the Salvation Army thrift stores. And they have a handful both here in St. Louis and in Illinois. It's a great way to do some shopping and help a good cause. The Salvation Army's mission is doing the most good. Wendy and I have done our show there. And one of the things the Salvation Army does at the end of every season is visit the big box stores who are clearing their shelves of inventory. And the Salvation Army buys it, tags on brand new. The following season, and this will be happening in the spring and the summer, the Salvation Army will offer this inventory to you at greatly reduced prices. Also, you can help by donating. The Salvation Army is interested in clothing, household goods, a car, or a truck. For more information on this and where you can drop off or they would be happy to pick up, just go online to satruck.org. And if you have a, a woman in your life who needs help, the Salvation Army will help you make a referral so that she too can get help. satruck.org. 
That's satruck.org. Welcome back to the Jennifer and Wendy Show on this Tuesday, February the 6th. It is 1037 out there. I know you don't spend a lot of time on social media. That's safe to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. I, I have to delete Pinterest. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what I, happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do try to limit my time because it's it can turn into two hours so quickly. It, it, it's Pinterest... And and I'm about to say something shocking, but I really think it is it is for women, not all women, but some women. It is pornography. It's it, it is catnip it, it is, for sure. At, it's like you can't you can't stop looking at these images that are. I mean, they're just and it's every part of your life that can be improved. Right. The other app I had to delete was House. House, oh, H-O-U-Z-Z. Which Heidi told me about, and it's fantastic, but uh-uh, I can't have it there. Well, the thing about um, House that I noticed, because a friend of my daughter Maggie's uh, worked for House. She moved to California and worked for House, so I was really excited mm. about that. But um, it's everything is pretty high end, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, it's almost like you get ideas, right? It's like the architectural digest, Pinterest, <laughs> you know, but you really, you can look, but you can, you really can't buy. But anyway, um, are you familiar with Dr. I think she's a doctor, Mel Robbins, the psychologist. I am not. She, you would, you would, if you, you would, you would recognize her if you saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, she is everywhere on social media. And I was scrolling the other day and I thought um, how interesting it was that she said, I want to credit my daughter. She's usually, you know, she's she's not she's not a fun loving person. She's pretty straightforward, um, not really warm and soft or cuddly or anything, you know, any of those qualities. But she's very, very talented. She said, I want to credit my daughter with introducing me to this idea. She said, because it is a revolutionary. So naturally, she had my attention. She said, um, imagine how much time you waste every day thinking about other people's lives and how they choose to live them. And I thought, hmm, because now I don't think I really don't think unless you're Woody Allen, straight up neurotic and by his own admission Mm -hmm. with other qualities, too, obviously, but. Um, this is mainly a female thing, mm-hmm. right? I don't, Chris doesn't sit around. If I tell him that some, if I come in with a story about somebody, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. He genuinely doesn't care. He will listen, but he doesn't care. It doesn't affect him. Um, she said, what we have to start doing is let them, when you think about, this person is making this mistake. This person is making that mistake. This Why does this person do this? Why does this person, you know, it is, I think, in families, certain friend groups that, you know, it, it, the circles of our relationships, as you go out, you know, people who just constantly dissect what this person or that person is doing. And she said, let them. And mm. I just thought, what a remarkable, you know. It, it that's just to me in terms of mental health. Uh huh. Just let them. What does it? You know, Chris. Chris would say when I was younger and much more bothered by this kind of thing, which is 
normal for the progression through life. Right, right. He would say, what does it what does it matter? And that was her point. What does it matter? Why why is it some people cannot let go you know, of things? I have not watched Saturday Night Live for a long time, but last night we watched some of it from Saturday on YouTube and they have a sketch called Why'd You Say That? on social media. So it's oh. sort of like three contestants and the young actor, actress from The Bear I don't know how to say her name. I don't either. Ao, a- help us, young person. I think it's uh, a- Abiri. Abiri. Did you happen to see her on Saturday Night Live? I didn't. I don't really watch uh, Saturday but, but Night Live. But what was odd about her appearance was she had beef. She had a beef with Jennifer Lopez that was brought up while they were getting ready to do the show together. So it was an odd. Mm. It was an odd pairing that ten years ago or so, when she was, as she said, when I was young. This young woman from the Bear, she she just criticized Jennifer Lopez for not being a good singer, <laughs> but only being known as a singer. Well, so, I didn't know she was a stand-up comedian. Oh, I didn't either. And she was so funny on Saturday Night Live. But the why'd you say that? Each contestant, they said, we're going to look at your social media feed and look at your comments and then ask you, why'd you say that? And it was hilarious because they would get buzzed out until they got to the real true answer, which was something like, I'm so lonely and socially isolated that I thought it would make myself feel better about me if I said something really cruel about this person on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. And they, you know, they definitely have their moments. But, you know, I think that maybe, you know, like you said, progression through life, that might be something that you come to in your 50s and 60s. Where you just stop worrying. Right. Well, you know the old saying, when we're young, we worry about what people think of us. When we get older, we don't care what they think about us. And when we get to this age, we realize they weren't thinking about us at all because they were too consumed with what's going on in their lives. Lives. Exactly. (laughs) And I, I worked with a guy once who used to say that there are definitely people who feel that life is a movie and everybody else is a supporting player in the cast of your life's movie. And to that, to your point, you know, that um, they're not thinking they're not thinking about you, you know, and that was one of the things that we would impress. We would try to impress upon the girls if they were concerned about something or something. I said, how much time are you spending thinking about fill in the blank person? Mm-hmm. None. Well, then they're not spending any time thinking about you. Exactly. I listened to this one podcast called The Huberman Lab and uh, Andrew Huberman is a neurology professor at Stanford, but he has he had a guest on in his most recent podcast about the biology of social interactions and emotions. And they're talking about social media, and she is actually doing research in her lab about how social media makes so many people feel disconnected, and it's oh. not a positive social interaction. I think we've seen this with kids and teenagers, that they don't have the face-to-face conversations they have so many relationships that are their only relationships online. That is, yeah, and that is troubling. We've got some great comments coming in. A four one two six. I'm sixty nine. Mean I don't worry about what people think, or I do worry about what people think. Uh, Superfan, let us let us know three one four, and then going to the six one eight and Superfan Aaron. If you are not allowed to make mistakes, you don't learn. Letting our children fall down and pick themselves back up is part of the process. They have to learn 
how to pick themselves up as we have. And I, I do think that is that is absolutely true. But you can't let them pick themselves up entirely, right? You have to let support them. them. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, you don't ever want to leave a child hanging, if you will, you know, on their own just to sort of figure things out. You've got you've got to let them learn how to do it, but you have to help them with your own, I think, life experience. Yes, yes. Right? And that's what in this one podcast, the uh, biologist who studied social interactions was talking about these experiments with monkeys. They stopped the experiments because they were so cruel because they separated the baby monkey from the mother. And then they had a control group and those monkeys never recovered because they needed that connection with the mother for that social interaction, which prepared them for life and every social interaction after that, which happens with us too. Did you see another hard <laughs> left, hard right? There's a promo or some kind of a PSA or maybe just a commercial with Edie Falco from The Sopranos about she's she somebody is taking something from her and she doesn't want them to take it from her. It's it's almost like a dream. I haven't seen this, but it's a it's a vegan commercial, it, and it's the the thing that she is the mama cow, and her baby is being taken, and then they actually have footage of a mama cow with her baby following her, mm. and it's it's one of those kind of wow, you know, where you need. You, you can't experiment with everything, you know. That's powerful. It like really the, is. Jesus ads, he gets us. I think those are amazing ads too. Um, I'm 69 and I do worry what people think about you. Uh, or I do I do worry what people think about me was the was the answer to that texter. Wow, they need to they need to spend time with Jennifer and uh Jennifer and I because we don't Jennifer and me. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the topic of conversation I worry about this what week. People think about my grammar. Believe me. Yeah, only if Diane Tanucci is, is. I do worry about that. Is listening and somebody from the text line. What is the doctor's name again, please, Doctor Jason Edwards? Oh, and Doctor Mel Robbins, if that is who you're talking okay. about. Uh, just a programming note: every Saturday at three here on the Big Five Fifty, you can listen to Keep What's Yours, a radio show with Jeff Zufall from Capital Advisory Group and Josh Gilbert from the Heidi Klaus Show. And they talk about money right now because it's early February. A lot of people are worried about tax time and tax filing. And boy, Jeff Zufall is an expert at this. They have a whole accounting department there. And one of the things they do for their clients is keep them up to date on the changes in the tax codes because it could affect what you can deduct legally, what you cannot deduct. And they want to keep you in the best shape, but make sure that everything is above board. If you're thinking about retiring, Jeff Zufall and his team at Capital Advisory Group say plan, plan, plan. They'll come up with a written financial plan. They'll start the conversation with you about whether you can afford to retire, your health care costs in retirement, taxes you'll have to pay, and, of course, how you can make sure you don't outlive your money. Give Jeff Zufall and his team a call, 636 394 5524. You can look them up online, capitaladvisorygrp.com, or listen in every Saturday at 3 right here on the Big 550. We are coming up on 1052. So let's check in with Jay O'Brien, ABC News correspondent from Washington, who is covering what's going on on Capitol Hill. Jay, thank you for joining us. 
thank you. And you guys are going to have to cut me a smidge of slack here. And you're some of my favorite people in the country, so I know you will. Because if there's any noise around me, it's because I'm standing in a busy hallway here on the house side of the Capitol, standing in front of an ABC News TV camera, because any moment from now, President Biden is expected to speak in which he's going to pressure Republicans in Congress to get behind this immigration deal that, as you and I have discussed over the course of the last few days, was finalized over the weekend. But support is eroding for it, particularly amongst Republicans, uh, largely in the House, but significantly in the Senate, too, which is going to be the first stop for this legislation. So things are not looking good. That's why I am literally pounding the pavement while I'm talking to you guys. So forgive the noise, please. We certainly understand. And if you have to drop the phone and run, we understand Just that, Just say, got to go, and we'll that's, do your clothes. That's right. Why? I'm looking for Speaker Mike Johnson. He's going to walk right behind me at any point. But anyway, go ahead, guys. Sorry. Why, why is, in the 11th hour, seemingly, Jay, why the sudden erosion of support? I mean, that is a great question. So it's kind of a multifaceted question. So firstly, there's a political conversation being had here, which is former President Trump for a long time had been pressuring Republicans not to back this legislation for a number of reasons. But James Lankford, one of the principal negotiators of this legislation, had seemed to indicate to my colleague Rachel Scott that an element of this was that he believes Trump wants this as an election year issue in 2024, this being the border. The other factor of this is you had Republicans come out over the course of, of really not even 24 hours after the bill was unveiled on Sunday, saying that they didn't believe it went far enough, they didn't believe it was hardline enough in terms of immigration and border security provisions. And lastly, there was this idea of momentum. Right after the bill was announced, not even a half hour after it came out, you saw House Republicans saying, we are not going to vote on this. We're not going to put this on the floor for a vote. It culminated with this statement yesterday that came out from all the top Republicans in the House calling the Senate legislation, literally their words, a waste of time because they weren't going to put it on the House floor for a vote. So that seemed to have a real significant impact in the Senate where if lawmakers who may or may not have been on the fence about this legislation started to see the reality that this wouldn't get on the House floor and momentum just kind of started to wither. And that's where we are now, a question of not even if the House will put it on the floor for a vote, but if it will make it through its first procedural vote in the Senate on Wednesday. Do they say why they think it's a waste of time? Well, I mean, Speaker Mike Johnson, who's actually literally walking by me right now. Forgive me. Hold on one second. Speaker Johnson, do you have the votes in a Mayorkas impeachment, sir? Didn't answer my question, guys. Sorry about that. No problem. That's great. That gives us a look at what you go through every day. So, uh, yes. And so this is fun. Um, Anyway, so uh, Johnson, who, again, was just next to me, uh, would tell you that he doesn't believe that the, the border security provisions in the bill go far enough. He wanted this bill to have every single facet of a bill that Republicans passed last year uh, called H.R. 2, which was a hardline border security provision bill. So essentially what he said was because it doesn't have this real laundry list of what we wanted and because it's a more compromised bill that, oh, by the by, came out of the Senate, not the House, um, that's why he doesn't like it. That's why he's not going to put it on the House floor. And so him saying that really started – the train of this momentum of this legislation starting to go away and away and away. Jay O'Brien, we'll let you go. We know there's work for you to do at hand, and we sure do appreciate your time. Jay O'Brien's an ABC News correspondent from Washington. We'll talk to you soon, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your forbearance. Oh, don't be silly.
And that is kind of cool to see what they have to go through. And they try, they get no answer. We've heard Joe Holloman say that yeah. for so long that politicians are the ones who say I'm all for transparency, transparency. are the ones who are the hardest to get. Yeah, they want everybody else to be transparent and point out if they're not. But when it comes to self-transparency, not always. And I know that the uh, one of the storylines ha- having to do with this impeachment um, was that even within the Republican Party, there was not solid support for impeaching Mayorkas. And so uh, that it was it, that it didn't rise to the level of what some Republicans felt was an impeachable offense. And meanwhile, Americans are just getting sick of nothing getting done. And we're still uh, what I mean, we're still so how many months away exactly. from the election? Exactly. Yikes. We would be remiss if we did not read a text from Mike from accounting. Right. When we were talking earlier about when do you get to the age when you don't care what people think about you, and if we do care, why is that? And do you fret about them too much? So Mike from accounting says, 50s male. Don't care about others' opinions, never did. Some call it sociopathic. I call it being ahead of the curve. That's why we love you, Mike. That's why we love you. Coming up on Top of the Hour News and more from ABC. And Steve Potter is here. And when we come back, we will chat with St. Louis Symphony Maestro Deneuve. Stay with us. This is the Big 550 KTRS St. Louis. Welcome to the second hour of the Jennifer and Wendy show on Tuesday, February 6th. We are so excited to have in the studio with us Stefan Deneuve, music director of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning. Bonjour à tous. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. And you were actually, you were conducting to the music as we came in. Well, I'm afraid, yes, this is physical. You know, this music, the Scamina Brana by Karl Off, is really a physical experience. And when I hear it, this starts, you know, O Fortuna, you know, the wheels of fate, uh, I, I just want to conduct it. And that will happen very soon. We'll have 140 chorus members on stage, a children's chorus, a full orchestra, and we'll do this amazing piece together. Why is this, this piece so renowned around the world, Maestro? That's a, call me Stefan first. Stefan. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're very right that it, it's so incredibly popular. Everybody heard it. Everybody had an access to it. It's in the popular culture, in so many commercials, so many films. And I think because it is a music that has uh, an inner power of also genuine simplicity. And uh, uh, and so it, it touches you from the start, and it's very repetitive in a great way. Like you heard that tam 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 tam, sempre crescere, and and you you hear it once, and it stays in you like an earworm. Uh, it's also extremely powerful. Um, it's like I don't know. It's a it's a real physical experience. Like when you go to a roller coaster, you will never forget. You know, the, ah. uh, right. and uh, <laughs> and this is a, a musical roller coaster. And these concerts are Saturday, February 17th at 7.30, Sunday the 18th at 3 p.m. at the Stiefel Theater. You know Americans love French accents, right? <laughs> Did you figure that out when you moved here? Do I have a French accent? <laughs> a little bit. Not that anyone would notice. <laughs> you know we all love that. Thank you so much. I, I feel so lucky indeed. Actually... I have to say, we do like a very nice American accent in in, in French, too. So feel free to... Uh, but which one? It. New York or the South? Long Wendy's Island? Great mimic. No, Long I, Island, no, Walk uh, the Dog. How would you even <laughs> know if you moved here? Minnesota. Yeah. We want to 
definitely a Missourian accent in French. Oh, I heard very, some of it here and I love it. Very diplomatic. <laughs> no, <I laughs> when did it. you know that you wanted to be a conductor? Or what was your first exposure to music? Oh, um, my first exposure to music really was um, uh, when I was in a Catholic school, there was an old note playing the organ and uh, I was fascinated by the sound of the organ. So that, and also amateur brass band in my village that I heard that also fascinated me. So I learned the trumpet, by the way, and I learned the piano thanks to this old nun playing the organ that discovered me. Um, and then I was in a conservatoire in the north of France and there was a little class for conducting. I was only 13, but um, I'm quite a social guy. I didn't want to be a pianist alone behind the piano. So I wanted to do music with many people together and that was uh, the way to do it. And uh, I was too young, but um, uh, my mother said to the director of the conservatoire, he's already tall. He, he, he. And so to get rid of my mother, I suppose, the director of the conservatoire <laughs> decided to test me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and later he told me actually that uh, he really thought that this would not go well, but he saw something, he saw a little ability or something, gift or whatever, and decided to keep me. So I did my first concert the day of my 14th birthday. Wow. This is really an important uh, event at, at the Stiefel Theatre, um, February 17th and February 18th, isn't it? This is, is this your first time, Maestro, that you have been conducting? This well, particular piece? I have to reveal my age. I'm now 52. Oh, you're and a can baby. you believe there are still some firsts in my life to happen? Like this one, it's such an occasion because you need big chorus, you need a children chorus, you need three fabulous soloists and a fabulous orchestra, of course. So it's not easy to put together. And yes, this will be my first time conducting Kamina Burana of Off. So uh, yes, it's a big stepstone. How many rehearsals do you all do? Uh, we'll have about three days of rehearsals. And uh, the chorus, actually, the choruses, actually, have prepared since uh, many weeks, uh, months even. And uh, uh, But for the orchestra, we put it together only in a few days. Sometimes people find that a bit surprising, but... Um, uh, it, it's incredible to see the level of an orchestra like the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. They can sight read and read scores so wonderfully and uh, they come extremely prepared. Actually, they don't sight read, by the way. They, they, they prepare the score in advance and when we arrive, we start already at the level of a concert performance. It's amazing. Is it, is it like working with another set of instruments, Maestro? We, because we know that you have such a, uh, such a love for that music, the choral music, the chorus, um, it, are they like other instruments? Oh, yes. It, I mean, it's the most beautiful instrument and everybody has it inside. You know, we all have a voice that we can train, that we can use, and we should all at least hum or sing, you know, under our showers the morning because it's good. It makes your body feel good. Um, and uh, I'm an opera conductor. I started my career conducting operas and I love to tell stories in music. I love dramas and uh, uh, in music. <laughs> and so um, for me, it's always a treat to work with voices and with choruses. And we're very lucky. We have the St. Louis Symphony Chorus, which is fantastic. Uh, during our show, we have listeners who text in. And one of our listeners says, I was just thinking the maestro's voice sounds like music. Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> now, very I have a question much. just between us. When you're conducting, if one of your musicians makes a very small mistake, can you hear it? <laughs> the audience may not know. I, I wouldn't know. Uh, 
um, you could no. It depends what error it is. I mean, one what mistake it is. But uh, a wrong entrance can happen, and that you would hear for sure. A little wrong note can be hidden by the other instruments. But yes, it's actually um, something positive and also a curse. I do have quite good ears, and I, I come well prepared. You know, I, I study the, the scores at the piano, so I play them at the piano. So I'm, I'm getting used to really all the chords and all the notes that are supposed to be played. And so, yes, I do notice right away. And I try my best to not give a death look over <laughs> to the musician. <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's, it's, it's a reflexive sometimes. You know, I have to be very careful because it, it does happen sometimes that I, I react to a wrong note. And, 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 of course, it's stupid to look bad because the musician usually noticed it, know it. So <laughs> he or she doesn't need to have the conductor staring. So I try to avoid that. But here and there, I, I plead guilty. I, I do give the death look. Carmina Burana, this is going to be February 17th and Sunday, February 18th. It's at the Stiefel Theater. Many of you are wanting to know about tickets. It's slso.org. And the program includes two living composers. And we understand that that is very, very important to you. Can you explain that? Well, to yes, your fans? because um, uh, the future of uh, our symphony orchestra depends on renewing the repertoire. And I have good news. We have today some really great living composers. And uh, uh, it's fantastic for me to share my enthusiasm for new pieces. And that's what will be the case uh, here, actually. We will have, a, um, in the first part, three pieces put together, actually. I created a strange thing, a kind of... Uh, uh, imaginary symphony. So I, I put together three pieces that have nothing to do with each other on the paper, uh, but they have a lot to do, I think, with their meaning. With And so I create a kind of imaginary symphony, putting them together without applause in between. Anyway, and the middle of those three pieces is a piece by Lera Auerbach, who is a wonderful living composer indeed, and she wrote a piece called Icarus, uh, who uh, speaks somehow about about, of course, this famous Greek uh, mythology character, you know, flying too high and burning his uh, wax wings and falling to, uh, uh, to his death. And, uh, uh, and this is actually quite a, a wonderful piece that I just love. And I want people to discover it here because it's never been played in St. Louis. Um, Maestro has a 16-year-old daughter, 15-year-old? Uh, well... 15 soon, very soon to be 16. She's a leap year baby. She will be 16 the 29th of February, which is a very big deal. Oh, she's a leap year baby. Oh, she's special oh in so many ways. Goodness. I love her. What she's music beautiful. does she listen to you? Listen to, and has she introduced you to any music that you would not have heard otherwise? Of course. Thinking about the Grammys, which we just watched. Ah, yes, yes, yes. There is actually, I'm very curious about this, the, the new revelation uh, that had so many... Um, what's her name? Uh, help me. There was a, a Taylor a, Swift. No, this one. I know. Oh, no, Miley no. Cyrus. SZA? No, SZA. The, the new one. Ah, there was a um, uh, that got the, the a new revelation. I because I love what is new. Actually, so, uh, uh, Royal Banks, Missouri, text line eight four one two six. If you know, <laughs> SZA was S Z A, and she won some new artist thing, I believe, and she was born in St. Louis but raised elsewhere. Right. So my daughter is very in tune with all of that. She also very recently uh, became my uh, Instagram uh, uh, master. 
and uh, <laughs> because she knows that so well too. And and so yes, yeah, she's a, uh, a breath of fresh air for me to uh, keep in touch with uh, with what's happening today. Is there some music you listen to when you're relaxing and not working that has nothing to do with the symphony orchestras that you oh, conduct? Oh yes, all the time. No, no, I love jazz to start with, and I'm so happy to be in San Francisco, see the city of jazz. So I I, I doodle on the piano a lot uh, in a kind of fake Bill Evans style, I'm afraid. But uh, but I love to listen to, let's say, uh, Jacob Collier, for instance. I think he's very, very talented. And uh, so I listen to uh, to, to his, his music and, and many others. And when you and your family moved to St. Louis, even though you had been there, what were some of the cultural adjustments that you had to make? <laughs> uh, well, plenty, uh, I have to say, because it's quite a different uh, way of life. Uh, we were coming from... Europe indeed, and, and here everything has to be done with car. That was actually a big adjustment, you know. Uh, but the lucky news is that everything in St. Louis is 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. It's that is so, so true. fantastic, <laughs> indeed. And uh, uh, for my daughter, it was, of course, a, a new school, and she did fantastic, uh, I must say. She loved the new school, and, and she has a lot of friends. We are very proud of her there. Um, yes, uh, it was interesting to see all the different type of cuisine. I love to eat. So uh, I bought actually a, a very nice, actually, no, I didn't buy. I was offered, luckily, by a friend, um, 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 barbecue. And uh, <laughs> and I have to learn more about smoked, you know, because Ooh. I love smoked smoked meat. So, uh, but but yes, I become a, more of a barbecue Master, let's say. That's fantastic. Working on it, at least. That is wonderful. (laughs) Maestro Stefan Deneuve of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra joining us uh, with a little bit of a preview for a very special performance, Carmina Burana, uh, Saturday the 17th and 18th of February at the Stiefel, slso.org for more information. You and the orchestra really have just returned from or recently traveled to the Lake of the Ozarks to, to speak to and to perform for educators education is very important to you um why is that maestro oh it's it's just so important to offer music to the younger generation and uh, uh, and and those music educators in Missouri they are the pipeline that actually are creating the next musicians for orchestra but also the next member of our audiences and um i respect them a lot and i was so happy to meet like a thousand of them in the ozark in their annual conference and to play for them and also for some of their students and uh, uh young young players young singers there was a lot of joy because that's what music does right it puts you together and it's just a way to connect whoever you are, wherever you are from. And uh, and, and uh, it was wonderful. It was my first time in the Ozark, by the way. Uh, so that was exciting too. And uh, and, and there was um, a, a wonderful event. I had the chance to make a little uh, talk to them as well and, and a lot of feedback from them. And thank you all music educators in Missouri. We just love having you here. On our we don't text, want him to leave, frankly. On our text line, one of our listeners says, I'm a new student at the Alliance Francaise. More French guests, please. Love the maestro. <laughs> Bravo. See, I told you. I told you. Bonne chance à l'Alliance Francaise. <laughs> oh, my goodness. For more information about the symphony and these concerts are Saturday, February 17th at 7.30, Sunday, February 18th at 3 p.m. Just go to slso.org. It has been a pleasure and a half. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me and can't wait to see you all either in Two Wheel 
uh, at Performing Center or at Stifel for all our concerts. We have plenty more until the end of the season. When you come back, and I hope you will, we will have plenty of smoked barbecue in the studio for you. Mm. <laughs> Promise. I can smell it already. And <laughs> speaking of that, one of our advertisers specializes in this, and it's Three Bay Barbecue and Bakery. So if you're looking for a great meal or, Maestro, you want a few tips, head to Three Bay Barbecue and Bakery. It's a locally owned restaurant. It's inside the West County Phillips 66 station at Clayton Road and 141. And we're talking about pulled pork, chicken, brisket, fantastic desserts. Rick and Carol Gross are the owners, and several years ago they decided to turn the service bays into a fast, casual restaurant. So it's a great place to stop in for lunch, or you can call ahead, and Rick will bring it out to your car, 636-227-1208. If you go to their website, 3baybbqandbakery.com, you can see the entire menu. You can sign up uh, for their rewards program and get a few dollars off of already affordable, delicious homemade food. 3BayBBQAndBakery.com. If you do stop in, please tell them Jennifer and Wendy sent you. Jennifer and Wendy's Song of the Day. On the Big 550. KTRS. It's very saddened to hear that Toby Keith, popular country music singer-songwriter, died at age 62. I guess it was just a year ago that he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, but I don't know. I just, I did not know that. Uh, but here is one of his songs that was controversial, our song of the day. American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see your glory flying. There's a lot of men dead. So we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is falling. Sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the Fourth of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list, and the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist, and the eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear. Toby Keith, who died at 62, uh, there was some backlash. Controversial, why? Yeah, I don't remember that. Well, there was a protracted dispute with Natalie Maines, right. who was so, the lead so singer this... of what is now the Chicks, and she um, she derided the song as ignorant and took him to task in interviews and stuff. They they made up later, or he did, and said he wished he had never gotten sucked into all of it. Uh, and he was fiercely independent. He described himself for years as a conservative Democrat. That kind of confounded some of his critics because, you know, ideologically he liked both Donald Trump and Barack Obama and said he later registered as an independent voter. But Mm. he was one of the first to start his own record companies, and I was reading an interview with him back from, I don't know, 2004 or five. And when he started this company because he had issues with his own record company, he took on a newcomer named Taylor Taylor Swift. 
And our quote of the day is from Albert Einstein. Everything is energy, and all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want, and you cannot help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy. This is physics. Molecules. Molecules. <laughs> Some people can feel that energy, and we probably all could if we paid more attention. Um, one of the uh, when the maestro from St. Louis Symphony Orchestra was sitting here and talking about how he loved our cuisine and wanted to become a barbecue master. I was thinking about all the great restaurants that we should uh, recommend to him. One of them was the Piccadilly at Manhattan. Uh, Nick and Maggie and Molly are running this restaurant, the oldest operating restaurant in the city of St. Louis. It's right next to Maplewood. And it's in the middle of a residential neighborhood. So when you are there, you feel you feel like you're on the set of Cheers. Now, if you don't feel like cooking, they have the Piccadilly at home. They make their soups and specials, desserts and sausages fresh and frozen for you to enjoy. All you have to do is pull up in front of the restaurant, go in. The freezer is right there. They have enchiladas, lasagna, everything to feed your family if you don't feel like cooking and if it's not a night when you want to stop into the restaurant. You can give them a call, 314-646-0016. They have a fantastic Mayfair salad, fried chicken salad. Or you can look at the whole menu online and the hours and pay them a visit and look for Nick and Maggie and Molly. Thepiccadilly.com. Now back to the Jennifer Blom and Wendy Wee Show on the Big 550 KTRS. Brought to you by STL Medical Weight Loss. See the Dr. Joe difference at stlmedweightloss.com. It is Tuesday. It's 1135, so it's time to check in with Joe Holloman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. A little later than usual, but Joe, we did not want to miss you. How are you? I'll hang around for you guys anytime. You're so sweet. <laughs> Before we get to no. politics, I love that you reran your review of Groundhog Day with Bill Murray from, I guess, 1993. Yeah, I guess that. Well, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I, I saw that we were doing that uh, back when I was a film critic, and I, I like that movie. I, Me too. I, uh, you know, Bill, Bill Murray uh, has, has certainly had a great uh, career. I've not always been. Uh, a lot of Bill Murray's stuff is sort of a, a one-note kind of thing sometimes. That's sort of sarcastic, sardonic wit. But I thought in several movies he just excelled, and I thought Groundhog Day was actually one of the first ones going back, what, 30 years ago that is now? It's been a while. It showed he could actually act. He wasn't just a comedian. I think some people like Will Ferrell, although a huge star, hasn't really – uh, went above that in my mind. He's just, you know, comedian, and they're funny, but as far as being sort of bringing a dramatic essence to, to roles, I, I think sometimes comedians fall a little short. Uh, but I thought Bill Murray, this was actually a great rom-com. It was just more than Bill Murray being sarcastic, though there's some wonderful moments of that in there. So, yeah, no, I enjoyed that movie, and it's still one of those that when I see it on TV – uh, I will uh, I will watch it to the end. Funny stuff, and 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 what was even weird about that is I've never been a big Andy McDowell fan, mm-hmm. and I thought she was also very good in this movie. I thought it was everybody kind of certainly for her punching above her weight. Uh, Chris Elliott was in it, you know, as a sidekick. I just thought it was one of those kind of timeless rom coms that you can watch at any time, and it, and it still makes you laugh. Scene I always loved was when it finally dawns on him that he can do anything he wants. It won't matter because he's doing it again the next day. <laughs> and he's right. eating that triple breakfast 
smoking a cigarette, drinking a chocolate shake. I mean, it was like, yes, that's what I would do. You know, I was like, you mean I'll never gain weight? I'll never gain weight? Give me the triple French toast, side order of bacon, and a cigarette. You know? <laughs> and then you'll work it off tomorrow when the alarm clock goes off. Absolutely. I guess yeah. it's like it never happened. Oh, so, that's but, wonderful. Uh, yeah, funny movie. Funny movie. Well, well, speaking of current events and Joe's political fix, uh, Lucas Kuntz, I suppose not surprisingly, has received a pretty powerful endorsement. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he pretty much has organized labor pretty much lined up behind him. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Josh Hawley has tried to position himself as, as, uh, as, as you, have, you guys have pointed out, uh, the populist sort of Republican candidate and has moved in that direction. But, uh, you know, organized labor uh, doesn't necessarily respond to those uh, late developments. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's who's been there with you. And uh, Josh Hawley, when he was in favor of right-to-work legislation back in Missouri a few years back when voters defeated it, but Josh Hawley was on the losing side of that and was sort of on the anti-union side, uh, those things don't get forgotten. And I would be completely surprised if uh, not only because he's a Democrat, uh, Lucas Kuntz has showed pretty uh, Pretty good consistency in uh, seeking out organized labor. The one time he had a big uh, fundraiser here in St. Louis uh, late last year was out at the Machinist Hall in Bridgeton. So uh, he's in pretty tight. The laborers actually made their uh, presence felt even more uh, oh, about a month or so ago when they endorsed Leslie Wesley Bell against Corey Bush. And I think that was more of a surprise, if you will, if only because they try to stay out of Democratic primaries. Organized labor tends to go Democrat. The mm -hmm. idea that they pitched in with Wesley Bell, I thought, was a bigger news development, but certainly nothing small. And it can only help Lucas Kuntz in what most people would say would be an uphill battle to unseat Josh Hawley. Uh, every little bit helps, as I'm sure how the Kuntz camp looks at it. And do you look at who's raising more money, Lucas Kuntz or Josh Hawley's campaign? Well, you know, to an extent. I mean, I'm, I'm not one that uh, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of funny. Campaign reports have sort of become like fantasy league sports now <laughs> uh, where, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think it is to, you know, it's always fun slash curious slash uh, gossipy to look at who's contributing to who. Uh, but uh uh, I, I think more what you do is you look at the big totals as to how much money they have on hand. I think that's where it, over the years when I've talked to people and you look at here's how much they raised this quarter, here's how much they did that, a lot of uh, insiders have always pointed to is just pay attention to cash on hand because that's what's going to get you the big TV ad sweeps, which most political observers believe, at least in big races, obviously not for aldermen of some city, but for the Senate and Congress, it's going to be those big television ad campaigns that are going to move the needle, and that takes cash. Okay, so, but if we were talking about this before about negative ads. Do they move the needle? You know, I, I think we have – yes, I, I believe they do. Um, I, certainly, uh, is anybody going broke in, in America today by being negative? I think not. Mm. Uh, so that has changed – I, you know, I do think when people complain about negative ads, and, and as well they do, but that also doesn't take in the point the people who sit back and, let's say, see a negative ad and go, 
huh, I didn't know that. You know, they're not out complaining about negative ads. It, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if, if you look at the emails I get, nobody likes what I write. So, you know, because people tend to complain about things as opposed to just quietly go along with it. So I do think they move the needle. I think at some point in time, it's sort of the Hollywood theory. I don't care what you say about me as long as you get my name right. Yeah. I think all they're looking for is, is the, the – the, all of it boils down to vote for Hawley or vote for Coons or vote for Bell or vote for Bush. What the message is in there might tie you into it, but I think it's more a case of just almost subliminal. The more ads you can put up, mm-hmm. and now like a lot of politicians, the more things you can put on Twitter and Facebook, just more message, 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 and not so much the content of what that message is, just the fact that it's out there and you're getting this vote for, vote for, vote for over and over again. So I do believe that uh, I, I think the ads help either way. I mean, certainly, the, and somebody will go, well, what about this one? I'm sure there are negative ads that have backfired, but I, I think far more negative ads at least put a, a bit of a doubt. I think it works on the, uh, you know, if, if a negative ad comes out about a Democrat and you're a Republican, you don't care, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're looking for those folks who are, hmm, is it Holly or is it Coons? Is it Bell or is it Bush? You know, I, I think quite possibly then it could have a uh, an impact on it. And and what I've noticed now is as most ads will hit a negative but then close on a positive, you know, it's like my opponent, Wendy Weiss, is terrible. <laughs> I, on the other hand, and then you bring it up at the end, you know, with, with all sweetness and light. Uh, but, yeah, I, I believe that, that the ads, as much as people pay attention to what they see on television, I think any ad is better than no ad. Sort of like in Hollywood with the any review is better than no review. Right. As long as they spell my name right. Spell my name right. And I I really and I do think that's it. And that's where it come down. And everybody and this is people who have been Republican operatives and Democrat operatives have all talked about that cash on hand for the last month, six weeks, two months before an election. And so right now, a lot of it is just a. Setting your pieces exactly like you want them on the board. I mean, this is, uh, after all, early February, and right. nothing nothing happens really in what everybody assumes will be the Hawley-Coons race really until November. So that's really not going to get geared up until after August, which is the primary. So, I mean, right now what's happening, I think, is candidates out trying to get money. And uh, you, you see that when they talk about the governor's race, which I don't cover, our Jefferson City Bureau does, but people keep talking about how Ashcroft has the name, but Mike Kehoe has the cash advantage. Mm. And that seems to be the way the, the, the political junkies and the, the politicos, as I like to refer to them, uh, tend to look at things as how much cash do you have when it comes time to buy TV ads. Joe's Political Fix, uh, stltoday.com. When do they start polling in earnest, Joe? I mean, I know there's polling going on now, but when do they really get to it between uh, Lucas Kuntz and and Josh Hawley? I I think that uh, probably in the summer we'll get some. And and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, though, is they're always polling all the time. Right. And you can call up any candidate and ask them for a poll that shows that their guy or their gal is, if not in the lead, really narrowing the gap. So it, it's like 
it's with a uh, it's with a uh, uh, sideways glance that I look at any poll, and especially when you'll get the ones that'll say plus or minus eight percent error. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if it's anywhere within eight percent, as you're saying, this may not mean anything. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I think it gives you little snapshots, and it's you know right now what you're having is Democrat friendly polling companies are polling for the Democrats. Republican polling companies are polling for the Republicans, and it all has to do with how the questions are asked, how they're framed, how they're worded. So, um, I, I mean, I don't really pay attention to them much at all. Uh, I mean, uh, until the end of the day, I would say probably within the, a month of the election, because I think just a lot of people, and, and I know that I fall victim to this too, especially since now I write a political column. In, and you guys are in the news business, we tend to think about politics way more than the average American does. To be sure. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 it, and it's a, a fault on my own is I think, well, everybody knows about this and this and this, and everybody's like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of people, if you go, oh, Holly, yeah, he's, he's the senator who uh, with the fifth thing on January 6th, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I mean, people are not living and breathing politics as we in journalism do. And uh, it, it's it's our duty to keep them afarm and put it in the paper because it is important. But the idea that people are sitting there in February thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do in this uh, race. <laughs> I, people just have other things. More people are worried about the, the chiefs and the, uh, That's right. you know, if you did a poll right now, what are you worried that about? That is the you truth. Know? Kansas City Chiefs and Cardinals pitching staff would swamp any thought over even a race like Bush and Bell, which my guess is will get real interesting when that comes to the uh, August primary. I think right now people are probably figuring about Cardinal pitching and, and is Patrick Mahomes feeling it and will Taylor be there? Well, for, and speaking speaking of Taylor, I mean, we were having a discussion about what if she did – come out and endorse Joe Biden and encourage all of her Swifties to get out and vote for Joe Biden. Could Taylor Swift influence the election? And there are all those conspiracy theories and what have you. <laughs> but well, I, mean, I think she, she could influence things. She also, I, I mean, if, if she's certain enough of her audience, which apparently is everybody but me, <laughs> uh, I couldn't name you three Taylor Swift songs. I, I know mean, what you but, mean, but I think we would recognize them. Sure. Well, yeah, probably, probably. Like in the grocery uh, store. You know, oh, yeah. Heard that, I've heard that song before. But, I, I mean, you know, it, it gets interesting when when candidates do it. I mean, certainly I also think, the too, is, is that how much would the needle be? I don't think it would be to convince them who to vote for. I think that most entertainers, we expect them to endorse the liberal Democratic candidates. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, let, let, let's face facts. Hollywood, like the media, is at best a left-leaning industry, and and there's no other way about it. The, the idea that there's some massive conservative movement in Hollywood is ridiculous on its face. So the idea that a Taylor Swift or any popular singer would come out and endorse a Democrat, I don't think surprises anybody, nor will it change anybody's mind. Now, what it could do is get people who may stay at home, Mm-hmm. And if Taylor Swift says, I want you to go out and vote for it, would people do it? I guess if you're the type of person who takes your life coaching from a pop star, <laughs> um, 
knock yourself out. I mean, uh, you know, I've thought about more about Taylor Swift now, guys, in the last few minutes than you have in your entire life. And I have, except when I'm watching football. Right. They just can't keep the camera off of her. Well, Joe, thank you for joining (laughs) us. And I know a lot of us will be watching the Super Bowl. We'll talk to you next Tuesday and we may go over that. So you have a good rest of the week. All right, you guys do the same. Thanks, Thanks. Joe. You can read Joe's columns in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. Hey, are you turning 65 or thinking about Medicare? Maybe retirement is approaching. Three months before you turn 65, you'll start getting all sorts of brochures in the mail about the health insurance plans you are entitled to through Medicare. If you're still working and you like the health insurance you have at work, you don't have to go on Medicare, but it would still behoove you to call Ryan because he will sit down with you and in about an hour show you all of the health care plans that you're entitled to through Medicare, health insurance, and he'll compare it to the insurance you get at work. If it's better at work, stay with it. If not, you may want to go with one of the plans that Ryan will point out to you. Now, Ryan works for you, but he's not paid by you. He is paid by the insurance companies, and they regulate that compensation. So Ryan doesn't favor one plan over another His job is to explain supplements, advantage plans, Part D prescription to you and help you figure out which plan is tailored to your needs. And he specializes in Medicare plans in Missouri and Illinois and Georgia, Tennessee and Iowa. So give Ryan a call 314-368-6808. That's 314-368-6808 or visit him online, MedicareManSTL.com. Now back to the Jennifer Blome and Wendy Wee Show on the Big 550 KTRS. Brought to you by STL Medical Weight Loss. See the Dr. Joe difference at stlmedweightloss.com. The stream is back. Yeah. <laughs> we have had, we wish when we hear from you on the Royal Banks of Missouri text line, um, you all know that we have no control over, and we wouldn't know even if they left us specific instructions on how to restore the stream. <laughs> we 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 still couldn't do it. Want to let everybody know that uh, Joe Buck, who by the way has a sister, uh, and her name is Julie Buck, and she's coming up next on the Carney Show, is going to be the featured guest of the Kilcoin Conversation tonight Ooh. at six p.m. So he has a lot and lot of fans here. In St. Louis, so certainly tie a string around your finger or what else you have to do to whatever you have to do to remember to tune in to the Kilcoin conversation tonight. I thought I heard Julie Buck say that her sister-in-law would be covering the Super Bowl, Joe Buck's wife. Oh, I didn't hear that. Michelle. Hear Michelle, right. Uh, and I believe she's a sideline reporter. Uh, the past couple of games where I've been in the room with Mark watching different football games i just keep saying where's joe buck's wife where's joe buck's wife and he's like who is joe buck's wife yeah she's he's very, a guy watching football she's very pretty very pretty and very good at what she does look at all these thank you people are so happy to have the stream back thank you for wanting the stream back and from the 636 if the green bay packers were in the super bowl and taylor swift was dating one of the players then Joe Holloman would like her. That is so true. Maybe or maybe not. That, well, I think he he yeah, he would. I wanted to ask him if he's who he's rooting for. I thought he said the Chiefs. It must be in the case Chiefs. of the 49ers who dispatched his Packers. Yeah, I think he said that he doesn't like the 49ers. No. And what um, what about you, Connor? Oh, I, know I, I really don't like both teams, so it's a tough one for me. Um, whoever I end up having money on, that'll be 
That'll be the team I'm cheering for. And what was the – there was a, a figures being reported on today about the number of bets being placed, and I suppose it's more than ever before because of uh, – Yeah, they were talking about that at the top of the hour news. Yeah. I can't remember the exact number they said, but it's a, it's a lot of people are going to have money on the game. Uh, what time does it start? 5.30, the, the mm-hmm. 5.15. I think 5, 5 o'clock, 5.30. And the coverage on TV starts like at 9 o'clock? No, no it'll start 5 o'clock, before. 5 a.m. Yeah. Saturday morning. <laughs> It's probably already. It's probably already started now. Seriously, Uh oh yeah, it's all for sale. (laughs) They had them last night. They had the Chiefs last night in Las Vegas. Coming up next, John Carney and Julie Buck. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started, and before you know it. Comes the time we have to sing.